0: This is Laura Dieter with the Becker Spine and Orthopedic Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Michael Ast, an orthopedic surgeon and chief medical innovation officer at Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City. Dr. Ast, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about, so let's dive right in. What are the top challenges that you're anticipating for the next year or so?
1: I have to tell you i'm super unhappy with my next answer, but I still think we're gonna have some challenges dealing with the end of this pandemic, or what I hope is the end of this pandemic. You know we've seen it already in the last couple of weeks where we get these little spikes. We've got this variant or that variant, and I just think since it's all still so unclear exactly how we roll out of this, uh, especially in New York City. I think we're still going to be dealing with this for another another couple of months at least until the maybe summer or end of the summer. I hope that's not true, but that's probably going to be the biggest problem: is, is sort of getting back to whatever the new normal really is.
0: Got it. And you know, I think especially looking at um, a specialty like orthopedics and really being um, challenged when there were shutdowns for elective surgeries and trying to figure out exactly where you know orthopedics fits into the broader healthcare system. What do you see as being some of the the ways, I guess, in which um, the specialty is emerging from the COVID nineteen pandemic? What do orthopedic surgeons need to know and, and think about moving forward?
1: You know, I think we I think we realized we exist within a bigger ecosystem that sometimes has challenges that we don't really think about. You know, orthopedics has always been this sort of unique specialty where we do our surgeries take care of our patients they get better and they sort of move on we don't think of it so much as how orthopedics affects the healthcare ecosystem but the impact of elective surgery on supply chain on staffing on on all of these things that happen within hospitals and healthcare systems were never a thing to orthopedic surgeons it wasn't anything any of us ever thought of and now we recognize that when we're doing a lot of surgery it's using a lot of masks and gowns and uh a lot of supplies and when there's stress on the supply chain that's problematic for us staffing is probably the thing none of us ever thought of. There's always been enough nurses in the there There's always been enough nurses on the floor, enough physical therapists to take care of our patients. And when those things get challenged, all of a sudden we have to it, it kind of wakes us up to the reality that we're existing within this much larger ecosystem. And uh, in many cases, we have to be stewards of that ecosystem and make the right choices at the right time to help sustain not just ourselves, but all of our colleagues.
0: That makes a lot of sense, and it is really helpful to think about. And, you know, when you look ahead as well, what are some of the big opportunities for your practice to grow and develop?
1: You know, I think uh, there's obviously the backlog still. I know we came through a lot of the backlog sort toward of towards the middle to end of last year, especially in the Northeast. Um, But, you know, with the Delta wave and the Omicron wave, there's back to being a little bit of a backup. So some of the growth is simply going to be organic catch up that we're playing. The other big opportunities are really going to come as people reemerge and say, hey, look, I want to get active again. I want to get back in shape again. I want to get back to my life again and then recognize that potentially there are some orthopedic interventions that can help with that. I think that's number one. Number two is the one, you know, there's, there's been so many people looking back on some silver linings over the last couple of years, but the huge advances in digital technology that have occurred in our ability to interact with patients in their own home in very, very unique and personal ways, uh, I think is going to be a, a great opportunity for all of us, everyone in medicine, everyone in the world, to, to emerge in a more connected in a more connected way and to connect to more people. So in each individual market anywhere in the country, you're gonna be able to grow your market share to reach more people, to, to affect change in more places. Um, I think because of the huge advances we've seen in technology.
0: That's a really great point. And I love to think about some of the technologies um, and platforms that are making it possible to be more connected. I know obviously surgery has to be performed in person, but what does it mean to surgeons in order to do some of the follow visits and, and intro visits as well virtually? And, and how could that change the landscape of the way that healthcare is delivered, especially in orthopedics?
1: Yeah, you know, I think between telehealth, between remote patient monitoring, between these smart devices, smart braces, smart implants, all of these things. It's going to allow us to have a completely different view of the patient interaction. You know, it's interesting. We published a study uh, last year on sort of the telehealth wave in orthopedics, where obviously from, you know, March of 2020 through the end of that year, huge, huge increase. Everybody in orthopedics doing a million telehealth visits. And then it really plummeted once people kind of got through that and wanted to come back in person. But the one place it still exists is exactly like you just said, it's that post-op visit. All of a sudden, they don't have to drive, especially when you come to New York City, over the bridge, pay $20, park for $50 to come into the office and tell us how good, how well they're doing, right? I find so many of these patients now, they come for a quick telehealth visit, we chat, we talk about the questions that they have, and then they get to move on and they don't have to lose their whole day, miss work, do these things drive and sit in traffic and it makes it actually breaks down a barrier that some patients have in terms of wanting to access care in certain places so i think that's that's obviously really cool also just the you know some of these platforms for second opinion through telehealth you know we've got a, a program out of our institution that one of our surgeons uh, two of our surgeons actually started where they do remote Second opinion, so patients from all over the country can very easily get a second opinion and you know i 've always been a fan of second opinions in general it has nothing to do with me or, or, or any other provider. I just think that it's nice to hear a second opinion, but you never knew where to go. there was only one practice in your town there wasn't a really convenient way to do it now you can jump online and do a telehealth second opinion visit very very easily um, and I think these kind of things are the things that are going to stick with us. these are the technology platforms that are going to last long beyond the end of this pandemic.
0: That's really interesting to hear. And now I wanted to ask you about um, technologies and platforms specific to orthopedics. What do you think is the most interesting things out there? How do you think the technology, whether it's implants or instrumentation or other types of technologies really can make an impact on orthopedics going forward?
1: You know I think uh, ev- everything drives to trying to understand data, and again that sounds really cliche, and I told you right before we started I was going to try not to sound too cliche, but our, our our ability to gather data is changing dramatically, and whether it's through people's smartphones or their watches or actual smart implants that would, that exist nowadays, uh, and I have no conflict of interest with companies that make any of those things um, or maybe I do, but I don't think so um, or uh, these, these braces or bikes or anything that can help us monitor patients and gather data and understand who's doing well, who's not doing well, who's going to do well with this particular uh, 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 surgical procedure with this plan after surgery, who should go home with home health, who should go directly to physical therapy, who should not need physical therapy at all and is going to be absolutely fine on their own. You know, doing virtual monitoring, all of these things are going to change the way we treat patients because it's all gonna get more and more and more personalized. And it's always it's kind of funny to think about that. What we're saying is the more data we get from the more patients, the more personalized we can make it for each patient. And that seems somewhat counterintuitive. Sort of big data leads to big decisions, but I actually think that the some of the opportunities in the large data sets and in our ability to gather and analyze huge amounts of data we will be able to will allow us to personalize things in a very specific way where we understand based on not just, you know, the easy things you can get from a, from a physical exam and a quick history, but from a patient's sociodemographic demographic status, from where they live in the world, from what they have access to, from how far it is to their next physical therapy appointment to the local hospital, to this or that. We can start to really analyze the things that make unique people's situation unique, and then we can tailor care to that. And that's the thing that technology is really going to help us do in the next five, 10 years.
0: That sounds amazing and really would be great for patients and those who are providing care just to make sure they can get those outcomes as good as possible. And, you know, with the technology that is emerging and as it becomes more available, do you see surgeons being able to adopt this and hospitals and health systems being able to adopt the technology? Or will it be more um, of of just kind of based on studies and data that that are out there that can really give you more information? How do you see that playing out in everybody really becoming more connected?
1: I think some of it's going to happen a little organically just because Similar to how the internet went from being this thing you dialed up over a phone line, uh, and I'm, I'm dating myself here a little bit, I guess, now everybody knows how old I am, but, uh, but from that to now it's on everyone's phone in their pocket, right? The, similar, the way that that created significant amounts of interconnectivity is going to happen through healthcare too. It's sort of a natural uh, outgrowth of the way we do everything in life, the way that social media Im- impacts everything we do, the way that we are co- sort of constantly connected to work for better or for worse, the same thing's going to happen in healthcare. That being said, there are probably some actual changes on the horizon that are going to impact the adoption of that and the rate of the adoption. I think that's going to have a lot to do with things like bundled payment, population health, risk based care, where you're going to start seeing. That the implementation of technology is not just kind of cool or not just something people want to think about, or they're going to read a study about, or, hey, I'm doing this study, I want to, I want to use this, but they're going to recognize the genuine value it provides by lowering costs and increasing a patient's opportunities to get ahead of problems, to stay connected, um, and hopefully to improve outcomes and lower the cost of care so some of this I think is going to be a natural growth just as people become more connected and everything some of it's going to be intentional and whether it's from payers or whether it's from health systems or whether it's from physicians who take the lead in risk-based contracting um, somewhere along that line people are going to sort of push the implementation of these technologies because they're going to allow us to provide better value in the care we do
0: Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And now one more question before we wrap up our conversation, what do you see as being the lasting legacy of COVID-19 on orthopedics and spine?
1: I think the, I honestly think the biggest thing that will stay and that is just never going to go away and we've seen already is the push to outpatient, right? The transition of site of service is probably not going back in the other direction. Um, And it was sort of happening a little bit before COVID-19 but I think COVID-19 just drastically accelerated the transition from orthopedics being a 50-50 inpatient, outpatient type of thing to, a, uh, to, to you know, a, a massive shift to outpatient care, whether it was in joint replacement, spine surgery, or just in general. I think the shift out of hospitals, out of these big acute care settings and into lower cost sites of service like specialty hospitals, ambulatory surgery centers, I don't think that's going away. I think that is, is here to stay um, because so much data shows it was good, like besides the fact that it cost less, um, you know, uh, outcomes were improved, patient satisfaction was higher, it's not going anywhere. So I think if there was one true lasting legacy, it would be that shift. That shift to outpatient got dramatically accelerated and isn't going away.
0: Dr. S, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fantastic discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's always my pleasure.